one of the uh, most mind-bending realities of the human experience is the fact that God created us to know him and to experience him. How many would agree? God is not distant. God is not far off. He created you and I to actually know him and experience him. And how many would say, man, this summer has been just such a wonderfully refreshing time to just experience God together as a church family. Amen? Come on, it's just been awesome to just kind of do that. And I had the privilege of praying with a pastor from Belarus who was at our first service. And just to watch the Holy Spirit while I was uh, worshiping during second service, there was a family here kneeling and praying and crying together. How many of you know God is real? And he wants you to know him and he wants you to experience him. Amen? In fact, a couple of weeks ago there was a, a guy by the name of Alex. Alex is in his mid to late 30s. Uh, he had mo recently moved from New York uh, looking for a fresh start for him and his family. And his family, he's married uh, with six kids. Uh, he's a brave man. Uh, and, uh, and, and he, Alex had left his wife and six kids in New York, and he's kind of gone ahead and moved to the Pacific Northwest because he's looking for a fresh start. He's looking for a new job. He's looking for new opportunities. And the idea was that he would come, find a job, and then he would bring his wife and their six kids over, and they were going to have a fresh start. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, he was uh, sitting in a park uh, over in Washington, actually, and there was a few uh, folks from our church that were walking through the park and uh, kind of a small group. They just kind of gathered to pray and, you know, they were just saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do today? Is there something you want us to do? Is there someone you want us to talk to, a, a nudge that you would just want us to respond to? And they're walking through the park and, and Alex is sitting on a park bench. And uh, they, they feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit to go talk to Alex. And so they go over and they sit down on the park bench and hearts filled with compassion, they just begin to listen as Alex tells his story. Alex has struggled uh, with alcoholism and he's had a tough time, but he's looking for a fresh start. And he had moved over here because there was a friend that said, look, I'll take care of you. I'll, uh, you can hang with me for a bit until you get a job, until you get settled. But uh, unfortunately, after a week or two of that, the friend kind of kicked him out of the house. And so for two days, Alex had been sleeping in the park. His dignity shattered and He's embarrassed because, man, I thought I was going to get a fresh start. And here I am for the first time ever, homeless, sleeping in a park. They listen, and they just begin to share. This, this just group of believers from this church family just said, hey, we, we, got, we got some good news for you. And they begin to share the gospel with Alex, they begin to take care of some of his needs. They actually paid for him to stay in a hotel. And, and so they begin to just share the gospel with him. This good news that Jesus came, that he might know you. He knows you, but that you might know him and that you might experience him. And so they just begin to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with this man, Alex. And Alex gives his life to Jesus right there in the park. But here's what's so amazing. That's one of the greatest gifts that mankind could ever be given, that there's the opportunity and the possibility that you could know and experience God. But while they're praying for Alex and he's receiving Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, there's a 13-year-old boy who's a part of this group that just was walking through the park. How many of you know it wasn't just coincidence? Just kind of caught Alex's eye. They caught, Alex caught their eye. They share the gospel. And while they're praying for him to receive Jesus Christ, 
This 13-year-old boy hears the Holy Spirit simply say these words to him. Alex has a painful right thumb. I want you to pray for him, and I'm going to heal him. And so they finish praying with Alex, and Alex has now given his life to Christ, and this 13-year-old boy has the courage to step up and step out and say, hey, there's a God that I know, and there's a God that I've experienced, and, and, and he just told me that you have a really painful right thumb. You've, there's an injury. Something has happened to it. And Alex, to his amazement, is like, how do you know that? How do you know that I have a sore right thumb, a painful right thumb, an injured right thumb? How do you know that? How could you ever know that? And this 13-year-old boy simply says, well, God told me, and he simply wants me to pray for you right now. You know what happened. He prays for him. Guess what happens? This injured right thumb instantly healed. Alex gets taken care of. Because this is what we know. It's one of the most mind-bending realities of the human experience. That you can know God and you can experience God. You can know him and experience him. And that's what we've been doing this summer. We've been taking a, a look, a set of talks that we've just been doing around the Holy Spirit uh, because we understand that the Holy Spirit is a person, right? He's part of the Godhead. He's part of the Trinity. He's co-equal and co-eternal with God. And, and so we realize that the Holy Spirit is somebody that you can know and somebody that you can experience. A few weeks ago, we talked about the Word of God and how the Word of God and the Spirit of God work together because we recognize that the Word of God is the, the self-revelation of God. God reveals who he is, his character, his nature, his will, his purpose for you and for all mankind. He reveals it through his word. And so we recognize this morning that as a church, man, we are all in on the word of God, aren't we? We are all in on the supremacy and the sufficiency of Scripture. We align our word, we, are, we align our life with everything that the word of God has to say. Because we understand that every question that mankind could have is answered by the word of God, right? And, and so we're all in on the word of God. But we're also all in on the Holy Spirit. Because as we discovered last week, this Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is the evidence, right? Or it's the fulfillment of the Father's promise. You see, one of the things that we recognize reading through Scripture is the fact that, that God has all, God's people have always been marked by God's presence. The people of God are always marked by the presence of God. And you recognize it in the book of Genesis, right? Adam and Eve, they were created by God. And God comes and he walks with them. In fact, God created Adam and Eve and all of humanity to be fully and wholly dependent upon him. Do you know that everything that you could ever need is found in Christ? And yet so often as human beings, we try to find it in other places. But you see, the presence of God is always what has marked the people of God. We see it in the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve. We see it in the book of Genesis. Even after Adam and Eve sinned, God said, I'm going to have a people amongst all of humanity where they could see my presence and they could know me. And he called a pagan man named Abraham. And Abraham walked with God, and God promised Abraham that he would make a great nation out of him, even though he and his wife Sarah couldn't have any kids. 
And he spoke to Abraham and he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you a promise. I'm going to make a covenant with you that I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And there's going to be a great nation that comes out of you. And one day Abraham is pondering this thought, this idea, uh, uh, this promise that God met, made him about being a nation. That, that he would walk with him and the nation would walk with him and all peoples would be blessed in him. And he was wondering, is that promise ever going to come? And in Genesis 15, 1, as he's pondering this thought, God speaks to Abraham and he says this. He says, I am your shield and great reward. What God was trying to communicate to Abraham is it's not really about the promise. It's not really about the fulfillment of that promise. I can do all of that stuff. What I'm giving you today is myself. You see, the presence of God has always marked the people of God. When you come to Exodus chapter 33, and maybe you're familiar with Moses. Moses was this man that God raised up and said, you're going to lead my people, the very same people that had been born and birthed, that nation out of Abraham. You're going to lead them out of captivity because they were held captive in Egypt. You're going to set them free. And, and God is speaking through Moses. And so Moses gets raised up, and he's going to lead the people of God out of slavery or out of uh, Egypt and deliver them so that they might walk with God and have a nation that they could call their own. And there's this little story that's found in Exodus chapter 33 because God is kind of done with these children of Israel because they just kind of are stubborn and they just won't obey him and they won't follow him even though all that he wants to do for them is to set them free and to be good toward them. And so here's the children of Israel disobeying God and God says, I'm done. I'm done leading you. I'm done with my presence going with you. And he, he says, you know what? I'm going to send an angel and the angel can lead the children of Israel through the wilderness. And in Exodus 33, if you know the story, Moses is before God and he's begging him and beseeching him and saying, God, don't send an angel unless your presence goes with us. We won't go. You see, Moses understood what we need to understand, that it's the presence of God that marks the people of God. And so as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a community of faith, we are all in on the word of God. Because it's the authority upon which we build our life. But we are also all in with the spirit of God. Because it's the outpouring. It's the fulfillment of the promise. It's God moving in and amongst his people. It's what sets us apart. And so this morning as we go into week six of these set of talks that we're doing through the summer. The question or the thought that I want us to explore this morning is this. If the presence of God is what marks the people of God then it's reasonable to assume that there will be evidence, activity, manifestations of the Spirit of God amongst His people. And so that's what we want to do this morning. We want to explore the evidence, the activity, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And the writers of the New Testament, Paul in particular, uses those phrases. He uses the word evidence and, and activity and service and manifestation. And they're all grouped under maybe one word that we would use. And you've maybe heard of it if you've been around the church for a while. It's the word gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's what we want to explore this morning. That's what we want to try to see. What does the Bible have to teach us? What does the Bible have to say to us about the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Now, 
when we start talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, oftentimes there's different groups because we all come from different backgrounds and there's a couple of different maybe groups in the room this morning and we realize that some people use, oh, you're going to talk about gifts of the Holy Spirit this morning. Ooh, wow, I'm getting a little anxious right now, you know, because are you going to lead us down the path of theological liberalism? You're going to start baptizing cats, right? It's going to get all chaotic in here, you know. <clears throat> And then I recognize that there's another group of people in the room this morning that, man, you're just saying, hey, um, man, I'm super excited because you have, you have a bent towards charismania. You know what I'm talking about? And, and man, you just are believing God for tongues of fire to just come down on everybody this morning. In fact, we're all going to start levitating, right? And, and the Holy Spirit's just going to, right? And, and so I recognize that there's different groups, and I'm being a little bit extreme this morning, but, but I'm, I'm happy to say this morning that you're probably really both wrong. And we want to look at the scriptures this morning and, and better understand what are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now remember, we are all in on the supremacy and the sufficiency of the word of God. All in. It's the authority by which we live our life, serve you, and lead this church. The Bible has, the, has every answer to every question that humanity is asking. And for us, it's, it's not subjective, it's authoritative. And our word and, our, and our, our lives and the way we try to do life is built upon the word of God. It is our foundation. But while we build on the supremacy and the sufficiency of scripture, as you begin to read scripture, you begin to realize that the Holy Spirit actually moves amongst his people. In fact, I want to read a few verses to you this morning because I don't want you to think that I'm making this stuff up, right? I want you to see that it's actually in the Bible. And so here's a few verses that are evidence to the fact that, that the Spirit of God moves, not just in the first century, but he continues to move amongst his people. And it's in Romans chapter 12, verse 5 and 6, it says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ. Do you hear that? Though we're many, we're one body, right? We're in Christ, and individually members of one another. Now that's a radical thought for Western 21st century life, isn't it? Do you realize that as a believer in Christ, you are members one of another? Wow, that means that you belong to one another. That means that you have something that God has deposited in you that you're responsible to use to help other members of the body of Christ. And we're going to explore that and unpack that. And then it goes on and he says this, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to, you, to us, let us use them. Right? It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 7, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And this is an incredibly Trinitarian scripture because you see the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And remember, while they were diverse in terms of their, their purpose or diverse in terms of their function, they had unity in terms of purpose. Right? And, and watch what he does here, Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 4 through 7. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there's a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Verse 7, he says, for each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Do you see that? To each. He used the word everyone in verse 6. Not some. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a gift. There's a manifestation of the Spirit. And manifestation, that Greek word that's simply used there, simply means it's visibly evident. It doesn't matter whether you're 13 years old or you're just two weeks new in Jesus Christ. There's a manifestation of the Spirit according 
to the word of God. And then he goes on in verse four, uh, chapter 14. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul goes on and he says, pursue love. That's the motivation. But earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And, and so what we understand from scripture is that God, the presence of God is what has always marked the people of God. And if that's true, then there's evidence. Manifestation. The activity of the spirit. Gifts operating in you and through you amongst the body. You see, the church was always supposed to be a supernatural community. In fact, it always has been a supernatural community. In fact, it's weirder when it's not. The church has always been a supernatural community. It's weirder when it's not. It's always meant to be. And I want to prove it to you just from scripture and history and some personal experience. Because one of the things that you see when you read through the New Testament and Paul and Peter and James and all these guys that wrote letters uh, to churches that became of the canon of the New Testament. All of these letters that were written, um, never do you see Paul and those authors trying to introduce the church to miracles, to healings, to the manifestations of the spirit. They just assume that it's happening. You're a church? Oh, great. Spiritual gifts are happening. You're a gas station? Oh, you got gas pumps. You pump gas. You see what I'm saying? Right? And so my point is simply this, that, that the writers of the New Testament assumed there's just spiritual activity going on in the churches. Let me prove it to you once again. I, want, I don't want you to think I'm making this stuff up. Let's go back to Scripture. What does Scripture have to say? Romans 12, verse 6, we, we, I think we already read this verse, but it says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. And then he goes on and he says, if in leadership and speaking, whatever it kind of it is. In other words, he's saying, hey, he's not saying, hey, I'm introducing this idea of spiritual gifts. He's simply saying, hey, if you got these things, these things are going on amongst you. Let's use them in proportion to the faith that God's given you. Uh, 1 Corinthians, we're going to spend most of our time in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, so skip that. Uh, Ephesians 5 verse 18, and it says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but filled. And that Greek word for filled right there literally means to be drenched. It's like standing under a waterfall and just allowing the presence of Jesus to just wash over you. Be, be filled or drenched with the Spirit. Galatians 3 verse 5, it says this, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so uh, of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now what I want you to see right here is that Paul doesn't feel the need to address why there's miracles or what miracles are. He's simply saying, does God do miracles amongst you? Plural, by the way, miracles. Does God do these things amongst you? Well, is that because you're good or is that because God go God's good? This is what Paul is simply saying. He's saying that there's spiritual activity, this gifts of the Holy Spirit, they're just functioning amongst you. He assumes it, and he just continues, he speaks to it and encourages it. In fact, oftentimes he'll say, stir up the gift. I wish I could come to you that I might impart a spiritual gift. You guys ought to pursue or earnestly desire spiritual gifts. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21, it says, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecy, but test everything, hold fast to what is good. And then 1 Timothy 1.18, Paul's writing to one of his sons in the faith. And he says, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you might wage a good warfare. What I want you to see this morning is that when the writers of the New Testament are writing letters to these churches that exist 
throughout the, 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 the Eastern world. They're writing to them not to try and introduce them to spiritual gifts, not to introduce them to, hey, by the way, you know the Holy Spirit moves amongst you? No, 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 it's just happening. Because you see, the people of God are marked by the presence of God, and the presence of God is evident amongst his people. There's manifestations. And so Paul and Peter and James, we could go through more and more verses in the New Testament, simply write, not trying to introduce anything, but just to say, hey, this stuff's happening. And oftentimes when you see them writing about gifts, they're bringing some instruction, they're bringing some correction, they're, they're helping them better understand how those gifts ought to function. But there's no question that throughout the New Testament, this is what's happening. That there's evidence, manifestations, activities of the Holy Spirit amongst the people of God. Now there's a stream of theology, uh, uh, and theology by the way shouldn't be a word that scares anybody, right? Theology just means the study of God. And so when you read and you study God, there's actually a stream of theology called cessationism that believes that, well, that's good, that happened then, but the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not something that continue on today. And the problem with that position is the, the evidence. I'm just saying. And the, re the reality is that I could, I mean, we don't have the time, but I could go through uh, Augustine and Origen the Great and Justin the Martyr and you, some of you are like, what about Basil the Great? Yes, Basil the Great, you know. And these are all historians and theologians that lived from A.D. 100 to A.D. 500 and there's exhaustive writings uh, from these people about how the gifts and the activity of the Holy Spirit continued through the church. We could come into modern day and modern time. In fact, you know, our own church is evidence just to see that the gifts of the Holy Spirit still function and operate. And so we see from history that the church has always been a supernatural community. We see it from scripture. We see it from history. And I know that many of you in the room this morning would see it from personal experience. I know in my own life I have. I was born with a heart condition. That meant that every year I had to go to the doctor, you know, I'm, I'm 45 now, so I'm not, not that old, but medicine in Ireland back then wasn't that great. And so I had to go for annual checkups um, with this heart condition. And I was in a setting just like this. I was about 10, 11 years old, in a setting just like this. And I, I, uh, I was just worshiping Jeremy, somebody like Jeremy, you know, probably not as good looking as Jeremy, right? He's a good looking guy, right? But anyway, they were leading worship, and in the middle of worship, they simply said this, they simply said, hey, there's somebody here with, that has a heart condition and God wants to touch you right now. And the moment they said it, I felt this heat just through my body. Well, it just so happened that I, I had to, you know, it was a week or two weeks later that I was going back to the hospital for my annual checkup. And uh, how many of you know that was a pretty fun meeting with the doctor? Uh, well, um, I can't explain it, but it's gone. I know why it's gone. Because the presence of God marks the people of God. And if that's true, there's evidence. I was, uh, I was uh, about 11 years old. Man, 10, 11 was a bad time for me. Well, maybe a good time. I got the healing thing. But, I was, but um, when I was uh, 11 years old, I was at a castle. My parents were at a, a Christian retreat. And we were up on kind of the third floor. Um, the parents were in a, 
kind of a meeting, and so the kids are being kids. They're running around. You know, we didn't have cell phones and iPods and all that stuff back then. So we're running around exploring this castle. It's called Castle Welling Castle. And uh, I'm up on the third floor, and if you can imagine, it's got this great hall, and there's this spiral, the big staircase that kind of goes around the inside of the building. And it's about 90 feet where we are on the third floor, onto an oak table stone floor. Well, kids being kids, you know, I'm pushing up to look over, because I was a shorty, and I'm pushing up to look over, and some kid does this to me, and over I go. Now, how many of you know gravity takes you straight down, right? And so I should have gone straight down, hitting the oak table on the stone floor, but somehow, some way, total miracle, there's just no physical way to get to where I landed. I fell 25 feet, and God saved my life. See, because the presence of God marks the people of God, and if that's true, there's evidence. But even in our own family, you know, uh, God moved me from Ireland at the age of 18 to come to Portland Bible College. And, and then he moved us. Uh, we were, I married my wife. We had three kids. And we'd served here on staff. And the Lord began to speak. And he moved us to New York. We pastored a church there for nine years. And, and God just did amazing and beautiful and wonderful things. And then he moved us from there back to Portland. And can I tell you, every time... God has used faithful men and women within the body of Christ to prophesy, to speak things that they could not know of my life and our family's life and spoke to us that confirmed, hey, this is the step that I've ordered, you, I ordered for you. And God has been faithful to lead myself, my wife, and my family through these gifts that are a part of the body. When we moved back here, we, we didn't have a place to land. We didn't have a place to stay. And, you know, that's pretty agonizing for a dad with three teenagers. And God, what are we, I know you've led us. Where are we going to go? And, and a family in this church took us in for eight weeks. And they said, you can stay with us as long as you want. You know why? Because they had the gift of hospitality. See, spiritual gifts are not just something that has, you know, these sign gifts and, and, you know, the kind of the wow stuff that we like to think of. And those things are gifts. But, but I also recognize that within the body of Christ, there are those who have the gift of hospitality. And can I tell you that Ben and Kelly Ivan, who took us in, who cared for us, who loved us, it wasn't just that they put a roof over our head and gave us a bed to sleep in and fed us some food. They created an atmosphere where our soul recovered from the journey that we had been on. And we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the gift of God, hospitality, working through them. You see, this church has always been a supernatural community of faith. And here's the point, that spiritual gifts, activities, miraculous manifestations are normal for the church. Why? Because the presence of God marks the people of God and there's always evidence of it. And can I just say this, and we'll touch on this a little bit later. That's not limited to a few. It's for all of you if you're a, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. That God wants to mark you and to use you and to work through you so that he might be exalted and glorified and others might be comforted, challenged, and changed as a result of that. So what are spiritual gifts? Let me give you kind of a working definition. Spiritual gifts are God's divine nature working through you to bring glory to God for the good of others and to transform you. It's the glory. Gifts, spiritual gifts are God's divine nature working through you. You. It's this divine nature. Can I, can I tell you this? Spiritual gifts are not something outside of God that he kind of just hands to you 
And you can kind of play with it like it's a toy. Spiritual gifts are God himself, his divine nature, working in you and working through you so that he might be glorified and others might be transformed and changed as a result of that gift that God gives you. Could I say it this way? Spiritual gifts are God going public amongst his people. It's God going public amongst his people. It's not something separate from God. It's not some stuff that God kind of tosses your way. It's God's very nature. It's God himself breathing into you and working through you so that you would glorify him and so that you would be changed and others would be impacted as a result. What a mind-boggling thought. That we who were the enemies of God, remember we were the ones in Adam and Eve that shook our fist at God and said, nope, no thank you, I've got this myself, I'm going to walk my way, I'm going to talk my way, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, even though God had created everything and said, it's good, I want you to be totally dependent upon me, I've got everything that you could ever need. And we turned our back on God. We rebelled, we walked away, we made God our enemy. And yet it's the same God that comes after us to rescue us and to save us. That's mind-boggling enough that God would do that for each one of us. But it doesn't end there because God says, not only am I coming to save you, not only am I coming to rescue you, I'm actually coming to fill you with my spirit and with my presence that I might use you to accomplish my purpose and my plan. How mind-boggling is it? That God would do this, and so this is all that spiritual gifts are. It's the manifestation, it's the evidence, it's the activity of the Holy Spirit working in you and working through you. And so what are the purposes uh, of spiritual gifts? And there's a lot of purposes for spiritual gifts, and we could talk about many of them this morning. I mean, spiritual gifts in many respects are used by God to help sanctify you, to help you become more like him, to grow you as a Christian. Grow you in your relationship with God. Because how many of you know when you step out and trust him and you begin to serve him, you begin to change. It's not just the other person that's impacted. But I want to look at three very simple things this morning, uh, or this afternoon, whatever time it is. What time is it? Oh, it's, uh, it's 15 minutes in the afternoon. It's still morning. Um, three purposes for spiritual gifts. The first one is this, is to glorify God. We talked about this before, that you and I were created to glorify God. God didn't create you because he was lonely and needed someone to hang out with. God has no needs. But God, out of the overflow of his glory, created you so that you could participate in the experience that the Godhead has and this community that goes on and that you could know him and that you could experience him. The Westminster Confession, which is just kind of a, a, you know, a theological kind of thing that kind of maps out some stuff, simply says this. He says, the chief end of man is that we would glorify God and enjoy him forever. Could I suggest this? The chief end of you and I, our lives, is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And so God has given you spiritual gifts. Every single one of you that's a believer, he's given you spiritual gifts. We've already proven it from scripture. We'll go back there in a minute. But, but God has given you spiritual gifts, number one, that you might glorify him. In fact, it says this in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. As, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as, God stewards, as sorry, good stewards of God's very grace. Verse 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. 
Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength God supplies. By the way, do you see what's taking place in the scripture right here? It's not something that you have, right? If you speak, speak as an oracle that God's given you something. If you serve, serve with the energy that God supplies. And he goes on and he says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So what's the first reason for these gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to us? Number one, to glorify God. It's not about you feeling better. It's not about, hey, look at me, right? It's about glorifying God. The second reason is this, is to be a witness to the lordship of Jesus Christ. To be a witness to the lordship of Jesus Christ. When there's, in fact, for Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, the evidence of the activity of the Holy Spirit was the lordship of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to prove to you in a minute that, that spiritual gifts were si simply signposts. In fact, the John, who wrote the Gospel of John, and he wrote three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, appropriately. John, who wrote those letters in the Gospel, he used the word signs for healings and miraculous gifts. Why? Because he was simply saying these things point to someone else. His name's Jesus. And what happened in, in the Corinthian church here was that the, the, the Corinthians came out of a pagan culture. And in a pagan culture, you wanted to, you needed something from, uh, you know, from, you, you know, let's say you wanted to get pregnant. Let's say you were hoping for a really good harvest this year. Let's say you needed some help with your bank account. What you would do in a pagan culture is that you would go and offer a sacrifice or, a, or, or worship a pagan god. And so you would go to the god of fertility and you'd go to the god of the harvest and you'd go to the god of, you know, financial well-being or whatever the case might be. And so you were constantly running to these, these gods that didn't exist, hoping for their help, and you'd offer worship. And what Paul starts this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 out, he says this, he says, therefore, that's uh, verse 3, he says, uh, verse 1, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, concerning this whole idea of spiritual realities, I want you, to be, I want you not to be ignorant. And, and what he's saying to these Corinthian believers is he says, listen, You've come to Jesus now. And the Holy Spirit is never going to, if you've come to Jesus, you're never going to curse Jesus. In fact, it's the Holy Spirit that helps you to say, Jesus is Lord. But what was happening in the Corinthian church is that these guys had come to Jesus. I love you, Jesus. You're my Savior. But you know what? I need help. I'm, I need to get, I, 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 we want to get, we've been trying for kids and we can't have kids. And so we're going to go just, you know, just a little sacrifice, a little worship over to that God. And we'll, do a little worship over to this God. And what, what Paul was saying to these Corinthian believers was that, that, listen, he's not only your Savior, he's your Lord. Now, of course, we can't, we don't really live in a pagan culture, so we don't run to religion to try and uh, solve all those issues anymore. In the Western post-enlightenment world, what we do is run to more information. Because if I just knew a little bit more, right, I could, I, I know I can, I can figure this thing out. What are we doing? We're trusted in ourselves. And this activity of spiritual gifts is the evidence of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because when I begin to step out, not based on knowledge, but based on trust in Jesus Christ, and I'm willing to pray for somebody that I don't know what God's going to do. I'm willing to open up my home. I'm willing to offer a word of encouragement. I'm willing to maybe give. I have faith for something. Those things are not natural things that are happening. Those things are spiritual things that are happening through us, right? 
And so what God is, or what Paul is saying in this passage is, he says, hey, listen, the evidence of spiritual, or the purpose of spiritual gifts is to be a witness to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And the third purpose is simply this, that uh, it's for the common good. In other words, to build up the body of Christ. To build up the body of Christ. This is why you hear us talk about dream team all the time, and I know sometimes it may sound like, you know, oh, it's dream team, and that's just another name for something. And do you know all of that stuff is rooted in a deep, deep conviction in the Word of God that you have been gifted by the Holy Spirit as a believer? And there's evidence, there's activity, there's manifestation of the Holy Spirit through you. And, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, it says, it says that each one has been given a gift, right, for the common good. Think about that. You've been given a manifestation of the Spirit, not for yourself. Yes, there's some side benefit and there's some things that you experience as a result of all of that, but, but it's not for you. It's to glorify God. It's to bring, it's to evidence the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's for the common good. Now, as we close this morning, I want to debunk two myths. And then we're going to open the altars this morning. And I just believe that the Holy Spirit wants to touch you today. That there will be evidence, manifestation, activity of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the presence of God marks the people of God. And there's evidence. So here's the two myths I want to debunk as we close this morning. See, the church in Corinth believed the same lie that most of humanity believes. And that is, I'm not good enough. Oh, God hasn't given me a gift. Oh, he's certainly given Pastor Mark a gift. He's given Jeremy a gift. He's given, you know, Lanny. I mean, yeah, he's given all those people gifts. But he's not given me a gift. That's a myth. Because we've already proved that the Bible makes it really clear that you, everyone, each one has been given a gift. So you have a gift. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a gift. You, you have a gift. The second thing is this, and, and I want to debunk this idea because this is what Paul was trying to do with the church in Corinth once again because they believed this lie, right? So first one is that only super elite Christians have gifts. That's a lie. Every one of you has a gift. The second myth that Paul is trying to debunk here is this, is that, well, gifts... Yeah, that's that supernatural, crazy, wonderful stuff that happens, right? Healing and miracles and prophecy and the gift of speaking, all that kind of stuff. And one of the things you realize through the New Testament is that Paul never, never lists out an exhaustive list. He never says, checklist, here's all the gifts. He writes about it many times, but there are all these different gifts that he just kind of randomly mentions. But the one thing that's always connected is the Spirit of God. And so the second myth as we close right now that I want to debunk is this idea, well, if I don't have that healing thing, if I don't have that miracle thing, then evidently I don't have a gift. Can I tell you I've worked around and been around some amazing people who have the gift of hospitality, the gift of service, the gift of administration. When you go back to the Old Testament, you see that there were craftsmen that were gifted by God to build the house. You have a gift. And can I tell you something? That gift is deeply spiritual and deeply miraculous. It's miraculous when selfish 
human beings are willing to lay down their life and use the gift of hospitality to serve other people. That's miraculous. And so this morning, I simply want us to understand, and we're going to stand together right now, and we're going to begin to open up these altars, and I know time, we've only got a few minutes left, but I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to touch you this morning. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? How many are hungry this morning to say, I believe this, that if I am, if we are the people of God, then the presence of God marks the people of God, and there's evidence, right? And so if that is true this morning, and I'm willing to step out to say, God, I believe it. And if you're willing to step out and say, I believe that too this morning, and you're saying, God, I need you to touch me this morning, maybe some of you are praying and saying, God, would you stir up that gift that I've allowed to go dormant? Maybe there's some of you this morning, and you just don't know what, your, what that gift is. I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to reveal it to you. He's going to whisper it into your heart. And I'm simply asking you to listen and then obey whatever He tells you to do. If that's pray for somebody, if that's buy somebody a meal, if that's just send them a word of encouragement, I want you to obey this morning. Amen? The Holy Spirit's here. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a song, and I simply want you to come. And if, you want, if you're looking for a touch from God this morning, we're going to have people filling this altar to pray for you. I simply want you to step out in boldness and to say, Jesus, I'm here because I'm a child of God. And because I'm a child of God, the presence of God marks me. And there's evidence of that that will begin to transpire and begin to unfold in my life. And so if that's you this morning, we're going to start singing. And I want you to come to the altar. We're going to pray this morning and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us. Amen? Let's sing together.